Good evening, church. Before we get started, I just met a lovely person visiting here, Susan. This is her, her first time in a church. She lost her brother in Chicago earlier this week. She's here for comfort. And so I encourage everybody to reach out to Susan. She told me she wouldn't sing, but I'm going to try to do something to get her to sing. Let's begin with, he has made me glad. I will enter. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to you in prayer this evening with thanksgiving on our hearts. Also with wonder, Father, over your creation. Thanksgiving for your Son, Father. For gratefulness for all the blessings that you give to us. We pray, Father, that you would be with us as we go through this time of worship and that we would glorify you in all that we do. We know, Father, that there are those that are sick and hurting and, and suffering. We pray that you'd be with them, be with Susan, Father, over the loss of her brother. We pray that you'd be with the others that are recovering from operations and are facing operations. I pray that we would uh, be mindful always of the world around us, that we would show love, that we'd show Jesus through our lives, and that we would always help others to come to you and to understand the great gift that we can be given through the death of your Son upon the cross. We pray this in his name. Amen. Now before we partake of the Lord's Supper, let's sing number 318, O Sacred Head. <clears throat> Oh, Yeah. 
I wasn't going to do this, but uh, since Mike led this song, um, I'm going to read it to you as a piece of prose uh, versus singing it. Um, because the first verse kind of talks about what Jesus did for us, and the second verse talks about our response back to him and great appreciation and thankfulness. Um, so, and it almost to me kind of crescendos where it says in that very last line, Lord, let me never, never outlive my love to thee. <clears throat> All right. So this is in 3.18 in the book, if you want to follow it, I don't, it's not up there. O sacred head, now wounded, with grief and shame weighed down, now scornfully surrounded, with thorns thine only crown. How art thou pale with anguish, with sore abuse and scorn? How does that visage languish? which once was bright as morn. What language shall I borrow to thank thee, dearest friend, for this thy dying sorrow, thy pity without end? O oh, make me thine forever, and should I fainting be, Lord, let me never, never outlive my love to thee. Join me in prayer, please. Our Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that you sent your Son to earth. We're thankful that we have a Savior in him, a Savior that was willing to go to the cross in our stead. We thank you for his bodily sacrifice and what he went through. And we knew that was a very hard thing for him to do. Even in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was reaching out to you if, if that cup could pass. That he would, would have wanted it to, but he was ready to do thy will. And Lord, we are thankful, forever thankful for what he did. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's pray for the fruit of the vine. Our Heavenly Father, we're thankful that, that Jesus was, was willing to, to shed his blood to cleanse us. It's always an amazing thing that seems like we're the ones that are wanting and trying to remove the stain of blood on clothing and things that it gets on. But you used it through your Son to cleanse our stains that came from sin. And we're thankful that you are mindful of us. We're thankful you want to have a relationship with us. And we're thankful that you did that through the sending of your son. It's in his name we pray. Amen. going to pray for anyone who uh, has an offering tonight. As you know, there's boxes in the back that are colored on the walls that you're welcome to put in there if you, if you so choose. So join me in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the many things you give us. We're so thankful, as, as Doug mentioned a minute ago, about your creation, that you've given us such a beautiful creation here that we can enjoy and enjoy fully, and we're so appreciative of it. We're thankful for the jobs we have and the monetary blessings you've given us. And Lord, we just pray as we give back to you that you will take these funds. And Lord, we pray that it'll help increase your kingdom here upon this earth uh, and help it be spent wisely uh, and be with us as it's spent. In Jesus' name, amen.
The invitation song will be 947 if you're using a book and would like to mark it. Now before Matt brings us the lesson, let's stand and sing number 474. Thank you, Lord. <clears throat> thank you, Lord, for loving me. I thank you, Lord, for blessing me. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole and saving my soul. So we're continuing our series on the prophets and we are still on Elijah. A lot of times um, I try to get through each, each person in one sermon if possible, but some of them will pro provide us with more than one. Um, just like this morning, even though um, Job might have went a little bit longer than I wanted to, there was no way to break it into two. But Elijah gave us that um, opportunity. So I want to remind you of where we were at before we left, before we get into it. Just, just remember that at the very end of where we were last week, Elijah was on Mount Carmel. Elijah had just had a um, competition, if you will, between all the prophets of Baal and just himself. And Ahab was the kind of the... Um, the person that oversaw that. He was also the one that brought all of Israel to see this, um, um, this competition. And at the end, as we know, Elijah and God, really God wins, and Elijah tells the people, hey, you see all these people that have been leading you astray? Kill them. Have you ever been alone? Isolated, singled out, all by yourself. Uh, in the family I was raised in, that didn't happen very often. Very little was I ever alone. But when I went to college, that was probably my first time. I remember when my parents dropped me off and feeling that first real feeling of alone. I had to go early because of soccer, so nobody was really even in the school yet. Amy was coming, but she would be coming two, three weeks later. And as every hour that ticked by that first day, as my parents got further and further away, I felt more alone. But probably the, the time I felt most alone, and it was really creepy, to be honest, um, at Ohio Valley, they had social clubs. We didn't have sororities because we were a Christian school. We didn't have fraternities. We had social clubs. Um, they were basically everything but the, the, the frat parties and things like that. Um, we did service projects and, and competed in sports and all that. And everybody wanted to be a part of that. And I, I got in um, a social club that was known to be really hard to get in if you were a guy. And they put us through a week of torment, of pain, and suffering. In fact, for that entire week, they made us a, sh uh, a shirt 
And we had to wear it and we weren't allowed to wash it for a week. We had to wear pantyhose on our head that we were not allowed to wash for a week. And during that entire week, they put us through the smelliest, stinkiest stuff. And we wore it with a badge of honor for a week. In fact, there was one time I went to Bible class during that week where my professor told me, if you don't go and change, I'm not going to let you in class. I said, is that a free dismissal? Um, no, but you stink. And it's disrupting the class. On the last night, they blindfolded us. And they loaded us all in a van. And they drove us to different spots on campus and dropped us off. I didn't know campus yet. And even though the buildings of OVU, there weren't many, because it was a very small school, the actual campus was enormous. There was a lot of acreage and a lot of woods. And they dropped me off right in the middle of it. So after they took my blindfold off and walked away, I was left in the dark without a flashlight and I had to find my way home. I had no idea where I was. I didn't know north from south, east from west, which way the school was, but there was something that really saved me. You see, the school was on a hill, so you could see light on a hill. And on that, in, in that school, on that hill, was an enormous water tower. And at the top of that water tower was a bright, flashing red light. Even far away in the woods, you couldn't miss it. So I knew if I just walked towards that bright, flashing red light, eventually I would find it. But during my journey, I came across many creatures Creatures I never saw. Maybe some creatures that weren't really there. But when I got back to OVU, everybody was waiting. And it was actually one of the funnest nights of my entire time there. We had this enormous celebration because we had passed the final test and we were in. But I'll never forget that time of wandering in the dark, looking up at the city on the hill, if you will, at the flashing bright red light that was leading me back to my destination, even though I had no idea where I really was. I knew I was in West Virginia, somewhere in Vienna specifically, but no idea where. There were no trails to lead me home. I, I did find a game trail and kind of followed it. There weren't any real ones. I was completely alone in that moment. And you would think, you would think that after this big moment with Elijah, he would have had that moment with the city on the hill, with everybody waiting, with the, the big celebration, the, the excitement, the joy. We figured it out. God just showed himself in an amazing way. That's not where he was at all. In fact, the next time we see Elijah, he's hiding in a cave. He's hiding in a cave. All of Israel's not there to celebrate his greatness, to celebrate the fact that he showed how they lost their way, to celebrate the fact that he revealed to them the one true living God. They're not there to celebrate that. He is still in hiding, and he's hiding for his life. This is what he says. It says, there he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even only, I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. There was no celebration. They were looking to kill him. And he said, go out and stand. This is being God. God said, go out and stand on the mount 
before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. He was this morning, but He wasn't this time. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. Now, this is just a depiction of what potentially Elijah saw, what potentially Elijah experienced. And to me, this is a lot of times what we're looking for when we're looking for God. We're looking for this big moment, this aha, there you are, God. You're doing something that I can't explain. You're doing something that, that obviously has to be you. We're looking for a miracle, a sign, something that is beyond explanation. That's what we look for when we look for God. And sometimes that's exactly where God is. Sometimes. But I think if we're being honest, those times are few and far between in life. And really the majority of the time, God's not in the storm. God's not in the fire. God's not in the earthquake. God's in the whisper. A lot of times we're looking for God in the wrong place. When he's quietly, subtly nudging you, pushing you, whispering to you the things that he wills for you. But I think there's something else here. Elijah's lonely. He's been on this journey for quite a while all by himself and he feels like He's really the last one left. How could he not? Again, he just had this amazing experience. God revealed himself in a way no one could deny or they would not have killed the prophets of Baal. But what did the people do? They went right back to what they were doing. What did the king and the queen do? They went right back to searching for Elijah to kill him. And I think he's struggling with this. I mean, look at what he says. He says not only, he doesn't just say they want to kill me. He says, I'm the only one left. I'm the only one left. Whoa. Now it wants to work when I don't even want to push it. One more back. There we go. So the Lord says to him, I want you to remember this part because this is going to come in really, really big at the end. And the Lord said to him, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. I love how God always uses those same places. I, every time I think of Damascus, I think of Paul. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. Don't miss this in the fact that I just destroyed that name. He's told Elijah to go anoint the next king of Syria. So God was even using prophets to anoint other kings, not just the kings of Israel, not just the kings of Judah. God was using Elijah to, to anoint the next king of Syria. And he also says, hey, and while you're, while you're on your way, go and, and anoint Jehu. To be the next king over Israel. Oh, and, and by the way, while you're on that, there's this guy. His name is Elisha. Kind of sounds like Elijah. He says, I've been preparing him to be the next prophet to take your place. He says, go find him too. Oh, oh, oh. And one more thing, Elijah. One more thing. You're not alone. You're not the only one who is not worshiping Baal. He says there's 7,000 more that have never kissed Baal or bent the knee to him. You're not alone. I know you feel alone, but you're not alone. So 
So he leaves. And I only wanted to show you this because I think there's also another special thing that God is showing Elijah that we can, we can miss um, as we just read through the, the, the narrative, if you will, and we look at it and we just gloss over certain things. So he leaves. And when he leaves, he sees Elisha. And Elisha is plowing in the field. And he walks up to Elisha and he says, hey, Elisha, God has been preparing you to take my place. Is that what he said? It's not what he says. In fact, the scripture doesn't say he says anything to him. He just walks by Elisha and he takes his coat and he puts it over him. And which is this picture. And Elisha says to him, whoa, let me go back. Kiss my mom and dad, tell them goodbye, and I will come and I will follow you. I will come and I will follow you. And look what Elijah says to him. What? I haven't said nothing to you yet. He didn't need to. This is verification from God to Elijah that Elisha has been prepared. He is waiting for Elijah. And without saying anything, just by coming by, putting your coat on him, he knows he has been called. And he's ready to go. The beauty is from this point on, from that moment of the cave, from his little journey that he had to get to, to get to Elijah, that's the last time he walks alone. See, that meant something to God. Sometimes it seems like whining. Because Elijah says a lot through the scriptures, I'm the only one left. I'm the only one left. God, look at everything that's going on. I'm the only one left. Everybody's against me, God. It seems like why? He cared about it. He did something about it. And from this point on, Elijah never walks alone. So Ahab comes back into the picture. And he says to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? Remember these beautiful, I, lo I love the discourse between Ahab and Elijah. It's actually one of the funner parts of, of this part of the scriptures. He says, Have you found me, O my enemy? Is that what you would expect Ahab to say? I mean, he just righted the course of the entire nation. He just showed the entire nation the error of their ways. He just called fire from heaven from the one true living God. And that made him your enemy? But this is where we're all, we are. They saw it. They saw it with their own eyes. They experienced it. It wasn't just Israel there. Ahab was there too. He says, I have found you, this being Elijah, because you have sold yourself to do what is evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring disaster upon you. I will utterly burn you up and I will cut off from Ahab every male, bond or free in Israel. And I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, son of Nebat. And like the house of Basha, son of Ahijah. For the anger of which you have provoked me, and because you have made Israel to sin. And of Jezebel, the Lord also said, the dog shall eat Jezebel within the walls of Jezreel. We, we know that happened. Anyone belonging to Ahab who dies in the city, the dog shall eat. And anyone of his who dies in the open country, the birds of the heavens shall eat. And then something happens. And again, I want you to remember Ahab. <laughs> Ahab is the king of Israel that literally unleashed war on God's people. If you were a follower of God, Jezebel was going to find you and kill you. This is evil. If I remember correctly, I believe he is looking for Beelzebub 
a sign from Beelzebub. He's literally, at this point, calling on Satan, which is why Elijah comes and calls him out. And it says, and when Ahab heard these words, he tore his clothes. Sound familiar? Sounds like Job, doesn't it? And put sackcloth on his flesh. And fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about dejectedly. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Elijah the Tishbite saying, Have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the disaster in his day. But in his son's days, I will bring the disaster upon his house. So, I want you to see one thing. I want you to ask this question first before we get there. What has Ahab done right? What has he done right? What godly thing can you name before this moment that Ahab has done in his life? Where does scripture ever call out Ahab and say, he did pretty good right there? This is the moment. This is the moment. God looks at a, a life of Ahab who is making war on his people, whose wife is killing his prophets and having dinner with all the false prophets in the land. They eat at her table. And he comes, Elijah comes, to give the word of destruction because of the life that Ahab has lived. Because of the evil that Ahab was a part of. And he repents. He repents. And God is saying to Elijah, look what you did. Look what you did. Look at the way Ahab is responding to the word of God. Now, I get it that there's a lot of doom and gloom in this. This is not the type of thing you want somebody to tell you is going to happen in your life to you and your kids and your wife and your, your family. But Ahab just watched fire be called from heaven and it didn't change him. Or did it? So he says, look, have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring disaster in his days. But in his son's days, I will bring the disaster upon his house. And then Ahab dies. And this is where Beelzebub comes in. I was wrong about that. Excuse me for that. I got ahead of myself. It was Ahaziah. So, Ahab dies. Ahaziah has risen in his place. And he has fallen through the lattice in the upper chamber in Samaria, and he lays sick, and he sends messengers telling them, Go inquire of Baal-zebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this sickness. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go up to meet the messenger of the king of Samaria, and say to them, it is, because there is, no, is it because there is no god in Israel that you are going to inquire of Baal-zebub? The god of Ekron? Now therefore, thus says the Lord, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So Elijah went. And on his way there, the sons of the prophets, don't miss this. Don't miss this. 
After he's delivered this message, the sons of the prophets who are in Bethel, they come out to Elisha. And they say to Elisha, do you know, do you know what's about to happen? Who told him this? Do you know what's about to happen, Elisha? The sons of the prophets. Which prophets? Good prophets or bad prophets? Which ones do you think? The sons of the prophets who probably Elijah has been talking about his whole life about, oh, by the way, they killed all the prophets. Right? They killed all of God's prophets. Who are these sons? Sons of the prophets that were killed by Jezebel. says, do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? Who told him? Who told him this message? How did they know? And he said, yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Elisha knows too. You see, God was not just preparing Elisha to take the place of Elijah. God was preparing the sons of the prophets who were being killed by Jezebel to take their place as well. And then that moment happens. That moment that separates him out from just about everybody else in all of history, that moment that separates him out becomes one of the more fun Bible trivia questions of all time. Because there's not very many people who walk this earth and don't die. How many were there? Somebody said two, that's right. I'll give you the first one. What's the second one? He was actually the first one, Enoch, that's right. He was the first one. If you ever have trouble, remember they both start with E. Helps. And God takes Elijah. And now Elisha is left alone. But is he? He's not alone at all. You see, evil is going to try to stop God's will forever. That's just part of the world that we live in. And there are going to be times where it feels like God is doing amazing things. And there are going to be times where it feels like, God, where, where are you? Like everything's going in the wrong direction. Like we're getting to a place of no return. We're, we, how can you save us from where we're going? It's like becoming too late to change. I'm sure in a, in a way Elijah felt like that when he feels like he's the only one left. God has to reveal to him, you're not the only one. And through this process, towards the end of his, his, um, his life on earth, God reveals to him, you're not the only one I'm talking to. You're not the only one I'm showing things to. You're not the only one left. I wish... I had a more modern picture of this. I do. Because I think imagery at times is important and this is one of those things where it's like, what did it look like? It's actually one of the more amazing things that happens in the Bible. God just comes and gets him. He goes from physical to spiritual in a moment right in front of everybody's eyes. I think the batteries are going out in this thing. There it goes. You might need to click for me, Doug. I'm really close to being done anyway. I got some simple points and we're gonna be done. So the batteries can fail all they want, can't stop us either. 
I want you to know that even when you feel alone, you're never alone. Even when you feel alone, you're never alone. Was Elijah ever alone? No. There were always people that he didn't know about that were doing the same thing he was doing, but who was always with him anyway? God, that's right. You're never alone. God never asks you to walk a single day alone. He's always with you. Which actually means, jumping to Elisha, that those who, with, who are with us are actually more than those who are against us. It might not always feel that way. But it is that way, always. Number two, even though trouble and threat of life lurked on every corner, Elijah knew God was with him and remained obedient through every tough task God put before him. And trust me, the tasks were tough. At one point, he's being fed by birds. Don't forget. The next point, he gets to the widow's home and the widow's son dies and, and she's blaming him. He said to confront Ahab. He said to confront, um, now I can't remember his name, the other king of Israel, whatever his name was. <laughs> I, I just don't really want to say it again. And He's had to do really th tough things. He had to have a competition in front of everyone. Don't forget, he knew the outcome before it ever started. That's why he sat there and let them go. Even though he felt alone, even though he struggled with being lonely, even though he felt like he was the last one standing up for God, he was never alone. He wasn't. And all them tough tasks, he did faithfully. And you know what it led to? I believe it was not the word of God, the doom and gloom of the prophecy of God, sure, that got Ahab's attention. But it was the faithfulness of Elijah. It was the revelation that the one true living God was the one that Ahab had turned his back against. The one that was giving the prophecy was the one he needed to worry about the most. And I believe that it was Elijah's faithful life of obedience that actually leads Ahab to repentance. It wasn't just the word of God. It was the guy he had to look in the eyes who was telling him about it. And you know, you look at Ahab's backstory and you tell me if you wouldn't have called him unredeemable. And that's why I want to say, one of the things we can learn from Elijah that people don't always point out is that there is never a place where you can go that's so far that God can't redeem you. There is never, unless you shut God out of your life, there is never a place you can go that's so far that God can't redeem you. So let's remember that as we deal with the people of this world as we deal with the people in our community. And sometimes even as we deal with each other. Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? You know, all of this is pointing to Jesus. All of it. All, everything the prophets say, it's all really, at the end of the day, pointing to Jesus. The author and perfecter of our faith. Have you accepted him as your Lord and Savior? Have you been washed in his blood through baptism? Had your sins forgiven? And re forgiven received the gift of the Holy Spirit? <clears throat> excuse me. Been added to the kingdom of God? For those of us who have, are we walking faithfully? Are we being obedient? Even when God, even when what God is asking from us is tough. Where are you at tonight? If there's a need to respond to the invitation, you can come as together we stand and sing. Jesus is tenderly <laughs> calling thee
Thanks for joining us this evening. Uh, thanks, Matt, for that message. It's a, it's a good message on Elijah. Um, powerful story. Grab yourself a bullet, and if you get a chance, we've got some out here in the, in the foyer. Um, I'll highlight a couple a couple things in here. Uh, we've got a couple surgeries this week that are happening. Dennis Riker is going to have uh, surgery to replace the dislocated lens in one eye. The other eye is going to be done in about a month. So I know he's not having trouble seeing, so hopefully that will fix that up. That makes things just a lot worse for Dennis. And Lloyd Dickerson is going to have back surgery this week at uh, Advent Celebration to relieve his back pain. So hopefully that helps Lloyd uh, also. Terry Andrews from the ladies' class, she, she's home. Uh, she's a lot of pain and uh, very weak, so pray for her. Um, Betty had knee surgery this week, doing pretty good. William had knee surgery this week, and I know he's having a tougher time than he expected. So pray for both of those. I'm glad Betty's doing well. Sue Sharp had double cataract surgery. How, did they do them at the same time, the same day? Week apart, okay. It's still tough. So. Um, and Heidi Dietrich, who joins us online, she's uh, she's being hopes to be admitted to a counseling hospital. She's had a lot of medical problems and stuff, uh, but she's hoping to get back on her feet. So pray for all these people. And we got a message from Carol about uh, her parents, Don and Nancy Page. Please pray for Don and Nancy Page. Nancy has been moved to Canopy Assisted Living. That's on Highway 50 across from Hickory Hills, Sunnies, and is in room 102. Both of them are having a hard time adjusting. Also, please pray for the issue with Don's back. He is undergoing further testing to determine what, what's going on there. Uh, pray for Don and Nancy. They haven't been able to be here in, in a while, uh, and they're still part of us. They've been a history of getting us to where we're at today. Um, so pray for them. It's, uh, it's got to be tough being apart. They've been together for you know 100 years, uh, literally. Um, so I don't know. For, pray, for, pray for both of them. Um, also... Food pantry is tomorrow. Food pantry work starts yesterday, probably. It started Friday, I guess. It's, a, it's an ongoing project. So if you're available tomorrow to help, come on down. Uh, I know uh, they can pick it up and produce in the morning. They're going to bag stuff up, pass it out one to three, and there's cleanup after that. So if you're interested in helping, available to help, come on down. Um, Wednesday night, that's about the only thing i got left to say. Wednesday night, we're going to have Bible class here on Romans. Matt's going to be in Romans chapter 3. He just took three chalky mints to symbolize the fact he's going to be in Romans chapter 3. Uh, Romans chapter 3, live here on the, in the auditorium on the orange carpet, or join us online. It's always a good time. Be here for Chuck's short answers. Yes, no, maybe. Thanks. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks because He's given Jesus Christ, His Son. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give so much for this very this closing of a very beautiful Lord's Day for being with us and keeping us all safe.
We're also mindful of those fathers that mentioned in the announcements, those that are sick and hurting, that you'll be with them, comfort them, heal them, as only you, the great physician, can do. We thank you so much for Jesus, our Lord and Savior, who gave his life on the cross so we could all have that wonderful hope. As we depart here tonight, be with us, keep us all safe, and until we can meet here once again to study your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I will sing the wonderful